Do you believe that he'll hold you fast? If you would, please take your Bibles and turn with me to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 63. We'll be reading verses 1 to 8. Isaiah 63, 1 to 8. Who is this who comes from Edom with garments of glowing colors from Basra? This one who is majestic in his clothing, marching in the greatness of his power? It is I who speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Why is your clothing red and your garments like the one who treads in the winepress? I have trodden the wine uh, trough alone, and from the peoples there was no man with me. I also trod them in my anger and trampled them in my wrath. And their lifeblood is sprinkled on my garments, and I stained all my clothes, for the day of vengeance was in my heart, and my year of redemption has come. I looked, and there was no one to help, and I was astonished, and there was no one to uphold. So my own arm brought salvation to me, and my wrath upheld me. I trod down the peoples in my anger, and made them drunk in my wrath. And I brought down their lifeblood to the earth. I shall bring to the remembrance and loving kindness of Yahweh the praises of Yahweh, according to all the ways that Yahweh has dealt bountifully with us, and the abundant goodness toward the house of Israel, which he has dealt bountifully to them according to his compassion, and according to the abundance of his loving kindness. And he said, Surely they are my people. Sons who will not deal falsely, so he became their savior. How compassionate is our God to send us a mighty savior. Amen. This morning we turn once more to Matthew's Gospel, and as you are turning to Matthew 8, I'm going to take a drink of water. As you're still turning there, I just want to enjoy the sound of Bible pages being ruffled. I love that sound. I want to remind you where we have been in Matthew's gospel. As as you may recall, Matthew's gospel begins by placing us really high up in the bleachers of redemptive history. Matthew, uh, in chapter 1, writes for us the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Who who is Jesus? Jesus is the the, the Christos. He is the, the, the promised anointed one, God's Messiah. Uh, Jesus is the eternal king, says Matthew, born into humanity, a king whose reign will never end, amen, a king whose reign will one day be undisputed and universal on the earth. And Matthew proclaims to us not a genealogy only in that list of names we went through in the first part of chapter 1, he proclaims a a new genesis. The gospel is to do with a new beginning for all of God's creation and all of God's people. It couldn't be bigger news. 
It couldn't be better news. And this new beginning is under now, underway right now in the work of Jesus Christ. To Jesus, the king, belongs the kingdom of heaven, says Matthew. This is a kingdom where heaven's ways are loved and lived, where heaven's priorities are primary, where the king's subjects are loyal to him, having been overwhelmed by his loyal love for them. That word loving kindness, Isaiah 63, is, is all to do with the king's loyal love for his people. And the kingdom of heaven grows not by force, uh, not by political prowess, nor man-made religious thinking, man-made religious activities, human goodness apart from God. No, the kingdom of heaven grows only through the king's powerful and effectual saving work for his elect people. And so Matthew has said to us in, in, in verse 21 of chapter 1, you know, call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. King Jesus has come to save, not, not all people, his people. And how many of you know he will save his people? And notice that he saves his people from or out of their sins. He doesn't leave them in sin. He saves them out of their sins. This salvation is not merely to do with an escape from sin's penalty, from sin's hell. Please hear this. But from sin itself. The king has come to kill off sin in the lives of his people. So that one day, when the kingdom is present in its fullness, we will enjoy life without even the presence of sin. Do you look ahead to that ever? Boy, I do. Now, all of that is the big picture, uh, the, the, the big news, the good news of the gospel from Matthew 1 and 2. And, and, and it begged for us the question... Um, how does this truth become personal to me? I've heard those things before. How does it become personal to me? How do I get into this kingdom? How can I be saved? Not just from sin's penalty, but from sin's power to dominate my life. Well, says Matthew, the king's kind, clear welcome is this. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Is that your gospel? Because that's the only one there is. Turn from your sin, turn from your self-rule, and turn to your king. Live under his gracious rule. He'll even enable you to do that. And what does a life ruled by King Jesus look like, we might wonder? Well, in the Sermon on the Mount... Jesus described for us, didn't he, the nature of those who belong to his kingdom. The king's blessed people are a people who live with a righteousness that exceeds the righteousness of professional religious people, like the Jewish scribes and Pharisees. Because the king's people, by grace, possess a righteousness from the heart. 
However imperfect the king's people are, their righteousness is nonetheless sincere, not a pretense. Their righteousness is real, it's not a performance. Again, that's the gospel from, from way up in, in uh, the bleachers of redemptive history uh, from a theological perspective, you could say. And this morning, and by the way, this is the beginning of the sermon. Um, this morning, we're going to see Jesus descend that hillside overlooking the Sea of Galilee where he preached uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to see illustrated for us the personal individual work of the king for his people. And I urge you to hear this. If you are to be saved, friend, you must leave the bleachers of familiar redemptive history. Uh, You must get up from that seat where so many people choose to merely consider the broad theological truths of the gospel and nod their heads spiritual concepts that are appreciated but never appropriated personally. You must have a personal encounter with Jesus yourself. What does that look like? Well, it's pictured for us now in Matthew 8. Are you hearing this? Now when Jesus came down from the mountain, large crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and was bowing down before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you tell no one, but go show yourself to the priest and present the offering that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Remember, the mountain Jesus is uh, coming down from is is the the mountain where he preached the Sermon on the Mount, um, teaching all about uh, the way of the kingdom, how God's people, how his kingdom people live. Uh, And I want you to just notice with me that Matthew now wants us to consider, how how does this become active in a person's life individually? And he says, well, just, just consider what happened to this leper, okay? And I want you to notice with me the contrast between the many, the large crowds, and the one, the leper. He alone has a personal encounter with the king who has come to save. And again, let me me just repeat for the sake of of your hearing. Um, As long as you simply stay in the crowd of Jesus' people, his salvation will not be yours. Until you encounter him personally, his salvation is not yours to claim. Now when Jesus came down from the mountain, large crowds followed him, and behold, a leper came to him. Behold, look, don't turn away like you might when 
a street person comes up to you in, in Spokane or someplace like that, don't look away. Take a long and attentive look at this leper. Who should do this? You should do this. Behold, a leper came to him. And I urge you to think about this man's condition and I urge you to think about the consequences of this man's condition. Lepers in the ancient world did not approach anyone. Uh, they, they were the outcasts of their community. Um, they, they were treated as if they were living corpses. Why? Well, I mean, pragmatically, you could say people back then believed the disease to be contagious. More so, though, lepers eventually came to look a bit like living corpses. Leprosy is a disease that starts inside a person, imperceptibly in that sense, invisible at first, and then it appears as patches of scaly skin, spreads in all directions. At some point, a leper's eyelashes fall out. The eyebrows disappear. Swollen tumors grow on the face. A leper's extremities rot and shrivel and sometimes fall off. Behold this. Don't, don't look away. Leprosy destroys a person's ability to feel pain. So without pain sensors to warn them, lepers end up with, with hands and feet and arms and toes, other parts of their body seriously infected. The smell can be overwhelming. As recently as the late 1800s, doctors would send lepers home with, with a cat or two to scare off the rats that would otherwise gnaw on them while they slept. Behold this. Don't look away. Behold his condition. Behold the consequence of his condition. In, in Luke's account of this particular leper, um, we're told that this fellow was a man covered with leprosy. What, what's the consequence? Well, in, in some ways, the consequence was worse than the condition. This man is considered ritually unclean under the Mosaic law. He cannot go to a synagogue. He cannot go to the temple. Uh, he cannot um, uh, offer sacrifices. He cannot uh, be in the company of God's people. He can't be in the company of any people but for other lepers. To the Jews in particular, but in fact to all people, he is an untouchable. Every day, this man endures a living death. Physically, socially, emotionally, psychologically. Behold this. Leviticus 13 says that lepers had to wear their, their clothes torn. Um, that They had to leave their hair ungroomed. Uh, th this was to be a public thing for the benefit of others who, who uh, you know, wouldn't want to bump up against these people. That they wore bells to alert others of their presence. 
And lepers were, were legally bound under Jewish law to stay uh, outside the community, outside the camp, if you will, outside the town, despised, rejected, isolated, save for the company of other rotting, foul-smelling lepers. All of that to say, this is a story of desperation. Behold, a leper came to Jesus. And you can be sure of this, the multitudes, however astonished at Jesus' teaching, however enthused they were for this one who taught with authority, you can be sure they scattered quickly in all directions when this leper approached Jesus. Their repulse. I mean, he was supposed to cry out, unclean, unclean. Oh, and you can just see them in your mind's eye scattering. They're repulsed. They're self-protective. But not Jesus. But not Jesus. Don't miss this. Leprosy in Scripture is a graphic illustration of sin. Matthew gives us the account of the leper very deliberately in that sense. This man truly has leprosy. This is not a parable. But his experience with Jesus functions as a parable in the sense that it is representative of of the desperate condition that you and I are born into when we are born under the curse of sin. You think about it this way. Sin starts on the inside and it infects the whole person. It's ugly and it's loathsome. It's corrupting. It's contaminating. And your sin puts you outside the company of God's people, puts you outside fellowship with God. You're alienated from God by birth. And your sin cannot be cured by you. You cannot pretend you don't have it any more than this leper could have pretended he didn't have leprosy. What is you? Aren't you missing some fingers? Oh, no, no. No, I'm fine. Where's your foot? Your left foot. Where's that? Oh, never mind. See how silly that would be? And you say, well, I don't feel that way at all about myself. In fact, I look around at humanity and I, you know, I feel pretty good about myself. Friend, that's the thing with leprosy and that's the thing with sin. It destroys the ability to feel. So you go on your merry way as if all is well unable to see what God sees. And like this leper, we sinners become insensitive to our disease, insensible to the leprosy of our sin. And we say to ourselves, well, it, it can't be that bad, can it? Because this person sitting next to me, you know, I know a little bit of their rap sheet. Good heavens. Well, it's not to do with that, is it?
All the while, sin does what? It, it destroys marriages. It destroys friendships. It, it destroys family relationship. You know, her pride, her self-rule, his disordered sensuality, his self-satisfaction. Sin spreads, and, and sin brings its rot into all areas of life, including religion, Jesus has said. Sin comes to church. Remember, Jesus says lots of religious-sounding, religious-acting people harbor within themselves the leprosy of self-rule and self-will. And it's almost as if he's saying, you know what, you could dress a leper in a suit and you can put a pretty dress on her, but they're still putrid. Are you hearing this? And sin is actually far worse than leprosy because sin doesn't end its ruin when you die physically. After sin has ravaged your life and made a mess of other people's lives, sin continues to destroy. And after all of your loss in this life because of sin, you'll stand before God as an enemy. And the end result is an unending isolation from God's grace and God's goodness. The, the, the end result for sinners apart from grace is an eternal death and an eternal exposure to the wrath of God in hell. And your denial will be of no use. Your insensitivity to the disease will be no excuse. Your insincere religious words will only increase the heat of your condemnation. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, in your name did we not prophesy and in your name cast out demons and in your name do many miracles and then I will declare to them, says Jesus, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Oh, how the many in Matthew 8 who said, Lord, Lord, what, what, what a great sermon you just preached. Boy, I've never heard anything like that. That was something. Way to put those Pharisees in their place. I always thought there was something wrong with those guys. Oh, how they scattered to get away from this leper. And yet this leper, says Matthew, was for them and is for us this morning a living example of what it is to come to the king in desperation. And you can be like those crowds following Jesus, you know, astonished, though uncommitted, uh, amazed at what you observe of him in Scripture, and yet unconvinced of your personal need for him. Is that you? Do you come to Jesus, but at a distance in that sense? Religious, 
enthused, though personally uncommitted? Or do you come alone and desperate? Listen, Jesus came to save and cleanse the spiritually desperate. Or as in the Beatitudes, the poor in spirit. Behold, a leper came to him and was bowing down before him. That sounds like worship, doesn't it? And said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. I mean, this this guy pushes through all of the barriers that would prevent someone like us from getting to Jesus. He, He doesn't care what other people think. He doesn't care what his friends think. What his family thinks, he, he's not going to be turned away by the, by the scorn of, of, of the crowds, the judgment of the crowds. People saying, what, what are you doing here? You're not supposed to be here. He must have Jesus. This is a story of desperation. And be sure of this, it, it, it's a story of dependence. Look, look, look at that verse again. Bowing down before him. Uh, This man knows Jesus is God's anointed king. Well, how how in the world does he know that? Well, well, Matthew has already said to us in chapter 4 that that Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. And the news about him spread throughout all Syria. And they brought to him all who were ill those suffering with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. This man knows that this Jesus has all authority, including the authority to heal people, but he's not interested so much in the healing of people. He's interested in the healing of himself. And so he comes to Jesus. This man acknowledges his need. That's desperation. This man acknowledges Christ. That's dependence. That's dependence. Behold, says Matthew, how he bows before the king, worshiping Jesus, asking in faith, I know you can, Jesus, but will you? But but will you? Listen, All who are desperate in sin may depend wholly upon Christ. Don't miss that. There's a reason this little story is in Matthew's gospel. It's not just because, oh, that's interesting. Jesus healed lepers. That's amazing. It is amazing. Who heals lepers but God? Jesus is God. You noticed the question this man puts To Jesus is not so much, are you able, but but are you willing? Will he heal even me? And I I, want to just suggest that there may be some here among us this morning who in, in your conscience, you have that question bouncing around. Will he heal even me? Because I've been among the Jesus people a long time. And I've been singing all the songs and I know all the doctrine and I got Awana awards coming out my ears somewhere in a box in my garage. But the thing of it is, is it's never been personal to me. I could pass all the quizzes. Will Jesus have someone like me? Oh, he'll have you. 
And he bids you to come to him. And he bids you to forget what other people think. It's not to do with that. What does your king think? He loves you. We just heard from Isaiah's gospel. That's what that is. That the king's love for his own is an everlasting love. It's a loyal love. It's all to do with his love for you. Will you turn to him today? Well, we're going in a direction now, aren't we? And, and, and I don't mean to be rude about this, but since it's kind of going that way, um, do you realize how ugly you are before God apart from grace? You say, I didn't come here to hear that. I know, but here you are. The Sermon on the Mount helped us with this, didn't it? Because you look at that description of kingdom people and you think, wow, I'm not sure I did all that yesterday. The Sermon on the Mount, like all of God's word, functions as a mirror into which we are meant to gaze so that we might see the reality about ourselves. And you can think of it this way with respect to leprosy. What if every malicious thought... Do you ever have malicious thoughts? Don't look so intensely at me. Do you ever ever have malicious thoughts? What, What if every adulterous thought you ever had left a sore on your forehead that just festered and grew? Because that's what leprosy is. What if every time you ignored God... I mean, what what if every time you've thought or acted self-righteously, what what if every time you worshipped insincerely, heard the truth indifferently, a festering sore broke out somewhere on your body, and it didn't go away, it just grew? How would you look so far, do you think? Behold the condition. Behold the consequence. What if every time you refuse to forgive, should we go there? What if every time you refuse to love an enemy, every time you harbor bitterness against another sinner, because it feels so good to do that, what if every time you worried, every time you walked away from someone else's need, a part of your body began to rot. How would you look? How desperate would you be for a touch to be cleansed? How desperate would you be for Jesus? Do you dare cry out to Christ? That's, that's the issue. At some point, you've got to get out of the bleachers. You've got to get away from the, the broad theological generalities that are so important and foundational, but, but this is to do with you. Will he heal even you? Look at verse 3. And I think we're making tremendous progress, don't you? Look at verse 3. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. What what was it we just sang? He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. In Mark's account of this miracle, we're we're, we're told that Jesus was moved with compassion as opposed to what? As opposed to being repulsed, nauseated 
disgusted, shrinking away. No, Jesus moves toward this man who represents for us the sinner who comes to depend upon Christ and Christ alone. Jesus is not self-protective. Jesus is not shrinking away from the ugliness of the worst of sinners. Behold how, how willing he is to cleanse the sinner who simply comes to him in desperation and in full dependence upon him. That's the narrow gate, isn't it? You read that somewhere. So says Matthew in verse 3, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Do you get it? What happens to the sinner who comes desperate to Christ depending upon the work of Christ for her, for him, immediately they are cleansed. This is a story of desperation. And it's a story of dependence. But, you know, it's also a story of deliverance, isn't it? In fact, that's the whole point of it. Here's a little Bible fact for you. Because some of you are looking at me like, well, I think I've heard all of this before. I wonder if there's going to be anything new. Um, well, I don't know if this is new, uh, but, but I find it interesting that when Jesus made sick people well, in Scripture it's, it's referred to as a healing. Uh, when, when Jesus uh, restored lepers, it's always called a cleansing. How interesting. I got stuck on that. Why is that? That's word, word things like that. I get stuck on those. And it turns out that's very deliberate because leprosy symbolizes man's sin. This is what must happen. And this is what will happen for any sinner desperate enough to come and depend upon the king. You'll, you'll be delivered. You'll be cleansed. So let's just think about this. In fact, Isaiah says it this way. Come now, let us reason together. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be white as snow. So I ask you this morning, church people, have you come to Christ alone? Have you come to Christ desperate in this way? Christ alone delivers from sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21, as you know, says this, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Paul puts to the Corinthian church in theological terms what Matthew has just painted for us in this story of the leper because Jesus is the second Adam, the perfect Adam, just as human as we are. Jesus can serve as our substitute. And at Calvary, our king, who knew no sin, was nonetheless regarded by God as a sinner in place of all of his sinful people. 
oh, that, that cross stuff is ugly, isn't it? Well, now we have a greater appreciation, I trust, for why. Do you not see the ugliness of sin? And our king shed his blood. Jesus bore on that cross the hellish wrath of God for the sins of his people. And then he rose from the grave. Amen? Why? That we might become the righteousness of God in him. You see, church, your story, my story, those of us who have come to the Lord in this way personally is also a story of deliverance, isn't it? I mean, I mean, we are the ones who are privileged to go out into the community now and say, I'm clean. I'm clean. Do you think this leper did that? you think he was glad? Do you think he was... Ex- do you think he forgot? <laughs> Again, this is not a parable. A, a real leprous man was healed by the touch of Jesus. Uh, but, but, but Matthew's record of this really, really functions as a parable in, uh, in that sense. All who depend wholly upon Christ will be saved and cleansed. Do, do you think... I mean, is it possible your neighbor might need to know that? I mean, is it possible your grandchildren would need to know that? Look at verse 4. And Jesus said to him, See that you tell no one, but go show yourself to the priest and present the offering that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Now that's the kind of verse that you read and it's perfectly fine to just say, at least initially, that's kind of weird. I mean, why, why would Jesus say that to this guy? Don't tell anybody. Go all the way down to Jerusalem now that your foot is back. Now that you're not bandaged beyond recognition. Walk all the way to Jerusalem and present the required offering at the temple with the priest. Well, you know, why, why, would, why would Jesus do that? Now, here's something for those of you who are still looking at me like, I think I've heard all this before. Um, the, the messianic secret. I mean, this comes up again and again in the Gospels, especially in Mark's Gospel. Jesus telling people that he's healed, don't tell anybody. And you think every time you see that, well, that's just weird. I thought we were supposed to tell people. Well, remember, Matthew is writing about, you know, he's remembering back to that point in time uh, before uh, the veil of the temple was torn in two. Jesus is not coming to abolish the law. He's come to fulfill or complete the law. And so for now, he tells this guy, look, you need to go and do what any leper who feels he's, he's recovered uh, is to do. You're supposed to offer sacrifices to God. But, but you know, there, there, there's another reason that this keeps popping up in the Gospels. And it's simply this. Jesus didn't come primarily to be a, a, a physical healer. Jesus did not come primarily to be a good speaker, though no one healed like Jesus. No one taught with the authority of Jesus. It's almost as if Jesus wrote the Bible when he preached, you know? 
Jesus is the king who's come to save his people from their sins. And this deliverance from sin is assured to desperate, dependent sinners who come to Jesus personally. This guy, cleansed as he is, is no longer dominated by leprosy. Leprosy no longer is the controlling factor in his life. And, and the thing about this, you know, we could just stop here. I mean, you could look at your watch and say, well, it seems like we ought to. Um, but, but, but here's the thing. Um, Matthew ends the account right at that. Um, Mark and Luke do not. Uh, they go on to tell us, l- listen to Mark's gospel. Mark says, but, you know, Jesus said, don't tell anybody just yet. But, says Mark, the guy went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the news around to such an extent that Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city, but stayed out in desolate areas, and they were coming to him from everywhere. And he, here's the point. News of Jesus spread uh, but, but not in the right way, not for the right reason. Je- Jesus didn't come to be known only as a healer. And Je- Jesus didn't come to be known only as a great preacher, speaker. Jesus came to be the savior of his people. That is the gospel. And, and I really believe that this little wrinkle in this man's testimony though he's cleansed of his leprosy, I mean, how wonderful is that, Um, is a reminder to us that the earthly things that Jesus has done for us alone are not the gospel. When you came to Christ and because God loves you, he provided you with a job, and you tell somebody that, do you realize that alone is not the gospel? That's an opportunity to share the gospel for sure. The gospel is what? Repent. The kingdom is at hand. The narrow gate is yet open. Turn to Christ. So if if you're outraged by this leper's disobedience... Think of it like this. This guy is cleansed and he's told not to tell anybody just yet. He tells everybody, all right? So he loses some style points there. Um, You and I are cleansed of our sin and we're told to go and tell. And so many of us tell no one. And, and And I just ask you, which disobedience seems most outrageous to you? Disobedience, even in kingdom labors, restrains the ministry of Christ through us. If you're a note taker, don't miss the last part. It restrains the ministry of Christ through us. It doesn't hinder God. Jesus will save his own. It's just that you and I, who have been given a desire grateful as we are for our own salvation, our own cleansing, um, we're, we're meant to go about this God's way. We're meant to go about this in obedience to the king. 
And that means some of us are going to have to stop going out there in the community and acting like whatever is going on in the political realm somehow has gospel significance. Stop doing that. That means some of us are going to have to speak the name of Jesus as Savior. Let's start doing that. The gospel is not that Jesus did something wonderful for us. That's an introduction to the gospel for sure. But how many of you know God does ordain for some people to not get the job? For some people, the cancer doesn't get healed. And you know what they still need to know? Jesus saves. He saves the desperate. He saves the dependent. He delivers all ravaged by the leprosy of sin if they'll just come to him. Come to Jesus desperate and dependent and be delivered. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your great love for your people, your your loving kindness, your loyal love. And Lord, that you would not only refrain from turning away from people like us, but you would reach for us. And Lord, what a reach this is, all the way from heaven to live on this earth among lepers like us, untainted yourself, but with love in your heart to rescue us. Lord, I pray that we would never grow bored with the blessing of our salvation. Lord, I pray that we would never tire of telling others that we're clean and just how you brought that about. We ask you this, Jesus, for your namesake. Amen.